Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. These programs are just one of several free services we provide to disseminate information about training for mountain sports. If you like what you hear and want more, please check out our website, uphillathlete.com, where you'll find many articles and our extensive video library on all aspects of training for and accomplishing a variety of mountain goals. You'll also find our forum where you can ask questions of our experts and the community at large. Our email is coach at uphillathlete.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Welcome to another Uphill Athlete podcast. I'm your host, Scott Johnston, co-founder of Uphill Athlete. And with me today is our staff physical therapist, Pete Dickinson, with whom I've had a long and in some case uh, problematic relationship, <laughs> not because of personality, but because of my propensity to get injured over the years. And uh, and today we're going to kind of dive into, you know, injuries in general, how, you know, how they come about with a lot of athletes doing heavy training, um, and, and then hopefully also about how we can prevent them, what to look for, what to not, what to do, what to not do. But let me start off by having uh, Pete do a little introduction of himself and talking about, you know, kind of how he got to start in this and how he ended up being physical therapist for the U.S. ski team. Thanks, Scott. Well, I'm really excited to do this. And I think, you know, we should put out as our goal of this podcast is to heal most everyone's injuries uh, that are listening to this uh, uh, with this podcast. So so we can at least aspire to that, maybe. Um, uh, Briefly about myself, uh, I actually kind of got started my path to physical therapy. I came into that later uh, in my careers, uh, but I started off in outdoor education, uh, working for Knowles in Wyoming, and then segued, uh, I come from a medical family, and segued into working with the out, in the outdoors with people with disabilities with, um, uh, that were paraplegics, quadriplegics, blind, deaf, um, that whole population. Uh, and then I was riding up the chairlift with my buddy one day and asked what he was doing, and he said, oh, I'm in physical therapy, pre-physical therapy. I said, oh, that sounds like a perfect uh, field for me and then started my path uh, uh, with a school um, to work my way there. And then of course, with a a love of the mountains, you start uh, uh, hitting the mountain towns. And so I lived in Breckenridge and then in Park City and now of course in Paradise in Winthrop. And um, through that, uh, those moves, I uh, started working for a US ski team in various roles on various teams. Uh, First for the Alpine team, for the downhillers, and now for the, um, uh, for the cross country team. And I'm also now exposed to biathlon and rowing and, and host of other sports at, at the national team level, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, but I also have a, 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 a general clinical practice. And so I try to learn the lessons from my, um, uh, my, my, uh, alien athletes that I work with because they are aliens. They're amazing. Uh, the amazing capacities, but trickle that down to uh, those those of us that are um, uh, more common in our skill sets. So that brings me here, and and I get to live in Winthrop and run into uh, um, uh, patients such as yourself, uh, and I understand patients like that because I also have many of those um, afflictions of needing to be active and uh, be in the outdoors, even with an injury. 
Well, thanks. That's a great background to set you up for doing what you're doing. That's for sure. And I think we should let people know that you have been a physical therapist to an Olympic gold medalist. Um, and I think that's a great kudo. Congratulations on that. Um, as, as I well know, having trained a number of Olympians, people operating at that level are really on a razor's edge in terms of, you know, health versus injury, you know, trying to balance the, the fitness gains with preventing of injuries is a really tough challenge. And so, um, you know, to get somebody you know, to that level takes a great deal of coordination between the coach and the therapist so that the athlete doesn't arrive at the Olympic Games with some sort of injury that prevents them from being able to perform. It's amazing the resources they, they, they get um, uh, with coaching, uh, medical support, um, uh, care and feeding. And yet we'll try and do many of those same hours uh, or level of activities in our pursuits outdoors, but we don't have that support behind us. And, and, and it's hard and we can get into trouble at times. Um, certainly on your big climbs, I wonder um, when you don't have that sort of all encompassing support, but your commitment and effort is the same. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a rough deal. I would think. Yeah, I think that's a pretty, that's a great observation and certainly true, especially when, you know, you're living in a, uh, on a glacier in a third world country, uh, eating a substandard diet and sleeping on the ground, um, yet trying to perform at a really high level. That's a significant challenge. It's a lot different than, you know, the Olympians that we've worked with who are, have, are being pretty much, you know, eat, sleep, train, they get treated with kid gloves and all that. And most of the rest of us just don't have that option. But I think you made a really good point, Pete, that might help us segue into the next part of this talk, is that many of us try to train as if we were Olympians. I mean, we try to handle training loads. And maybe they're not, you know, a thousand hours a year, like some Olympians might be doing. But from a, you know, relative to our own time, energy, and capacities, we might be training very close to our limits, just like an Olympian is training close to his or her limits. And that's when, you know, we can go off the rails a little bit with, with injuries. And so maybe we could start off with that, talking about like, you know, what are some of the telltale signs, you know, that people should be looking out for, you know, what leads to injuries? What, what are the signals their body's sending to them um, so they can be aware that when they've got some, this niggling pain, is that a serious deal or is that just something that's going to go away? And so how would you kind of recommend people, first of all, just be on guard about injuries? Well, you're right. Um, you know, we all need a, a team in our, in our activities and we, but we may not have um, uh, that coach telling us what to do. And so we're, uh, uh, we're on our own programs or uh, accessing resources like uh, through Uphill Athlete um, uh, to point us in the direction. Uh, but what I see um, very often uh, is you get into that overenthusiasm syndrome uh, and you do too much and you overload. So our body only has about, oh, just in general, 10% ability to respond to uh, additional load. And more than that, you tend to react, and, um, at, but at 10% around there, you'll adapt. And that's what we're always trying to do. But we'll, we're um, very motivated in our own pursuits, and so we'll overextend. Um, but your body's really good at telling you that um, if we have the ear for it. Now, oftentimes, we shut off that ear or we, we delay, I'm just going to put up with it. 
Yeah. Um, I often tell my patients, the sooner I treat a niggle, uh, the better I can get rid of it. But if something starts accumulating and pain and inflammation uh, lets you know, um, once that starts accumulating, it takes much longer to get rid of it. Uh, so I think listening to those warning signs of pain and inflammation, if that pain doesn't go away by the evening of, of, of the event um, and lingers into the following day, that's a problem. If you have pain during the activity, that's the problem. So those are good guidelines to take to heart. You know, listen to what your body is telling you. Yeah, don't. I mean, we certainly preach that all the time to the athletes that we coach, and I think it's I've written it numerous times in our books. Don't try to train through injuries; it's just a disaster. It's you know you, and I think there's you know whether it's ego or just stubbornness, um, you know, or adherence to a training plan that you know blind adherence, let's call it, where you know the plan says you're supposed to go out and run for four hours today or do these intervals or whatever it turns out to be. And you get up in the morning and, God, oh, my Achilles is really tight today. I'm uh, kind of feeling what I did yesterday still, but now the, the coach said I'm supposed to do this. So out the door you go. And, you know, maybe, well, and I think you probably experienced this. I certainly have where you, you warm up and then that little tightness or niggling pain kind of goes away. It goes away, right. And then you go, okay, I'm feeling better. I'm going to start this workout. And then about the third interval, bang, oh, something, something goes wrong. And yeah. I think it's that, that last interval that always gets you. Yeah. Well, it's because it's the last one. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And but I, you're not feeling well. You probably should stop. But uh, the plan says I got to do this many. Yeah. Um, so I'll go out and do it. And then you're losing training time because then you're out two weeks. Uh, whereas if you had backed off, um, you could dealt with that, um, uh, done some treatment for it. And uh, the next week, maybe you've hit that interval workout just fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm one that likes to err on the conservative side with this stuff. And I often, you know, most of the folks that we deal with this over enthusiasm syndrome, as you call it, I think is a result of that type A personality that's attracted to endurance sports where more is almost always better up to the point where suddenly it's not better at all. And what I often counsel people is that if you have any doubt whatsoever, about whether you should be doing that workout that day, that's probably your body doing all it can to get your attention to tell you, no, no, don't make me do that today. I'm not ready. Because most of us are you know, usually chomping at the bit to get out and do these things. And so I kind of have given people that little piece of advice to help them, hopefully help them prevent an injury. And I think it's, it's way better to show up at the starting line slightly undertrained than slightly overtrained. Um, and especially overtrained and injured. Yeah, with, without a doubt. You know, uh, folks involved in endurance sports uh, are used to putting up with a lot of discomfort. You know, it, it's part of what they do. And um, so being able to differentiate, you know, discomfort and pain um, is sometimes I have to actually teach uh, my patients, you know, what is pain? Because they can endure a lot. They can put up with a lot. That's part of what they're doing. Um, You've ever and you've done ultras, and you know at the end those last couple hours, you're just enduring. Um, but the key uh, key into what what our body's telling us and what our joints are telling us, um, yeah, that's that's key. So when we think about the prevention of injuries, what are maybe some of the 
what are some of the lessons you've learned? Um, and what are some of the key points that people can, can do in their own maintenance program to uh, help them prevent injury? Well, biggest thing is to have a plan, you know, for your training. Um, and then you can lay out your progressions of hours and, or activities and loads um, uh, with some thought. And that can get you uh, to avoid that increase, increases by, of 100% that often happens when you're um, just winging it. So having a plan really helps you prevent injury by controlling your loads. Uh, injuries are, are caused by many things. Uh, their equipment causes um, footwear. If you're running a lot, uh, that's an easy one. You got to change that out quite often. Um, uh, technique of your sport. Uh, that's why it's nice to be coached. Uh, I'm involved a lot with Nordic skiing and that has a, a specific sequence of hip hinging and people uh, that get into um, too much uh, uh, back arching and, and other instability motions uh, set themselves up for injury. So sometimes having uh, being coached in a sport, even if you've done it for a while, uh, can be uh, a really helpful thing. And then Scott, we've talked about this extensively. Um, strength training as a preventative activity is huge, uh, both for your tendon health um, and for your ability to recover from training loads uh, through the hormonal stimulus that strength training gives you. Can, can you talk about that hormonal stimulus? I've, I mean, I'm a, quite familiar with it, Pete, but I'm afraid that I'm guessing that a lot of our audience probably doesn't really understand that. So can, especially the, the benefit for someone like who's doing, who's an endurance athlete that's doing very high repetitions in their normal sport activities, doing very high repetitions at relatively low loads. And how would be the benefit of high load strength training and, and hormonally for them? Yeah, because you wouldn't think it would, it would apply, right? We have uh, that, uh, the said principle, specific adaptation to impose demands. It's got to look, feel, taste, and smell like your sport to benefit you. But strength training is different from that. Um, and without going too much in the weeds uh, with that, um, uh, when you do, for an endurance athlete to do, say, two times a week strength training is incredibly helpful because uh, through the metabolic um, responses to load in your, in your tissues, um, it stimulates a chemical response, a hormonal response. And so you get an increase in human growth hormone, uh, testosterone, all these good activities that help you naturally, they help you uh, recover from all the fatiguing events that you're doing and repetition with your endurance sport. So uh, it, it's a huge recovery tool for all the hours of endurance um, activity. Strength training, it takes half an hour, um, you know, uh, several times a week. It's, it's one of the biggest bang for the buck that you can do for injury prevention and uh, recovery. And then you get the additional benefit of um, uh, you get better fatigue resistance uh, in your activities and that it takes less energy to accomplish the task because you're stronger. It's a relatively, it's a less of a load on you. So that's why it's, it's always nice uh, uh, being, being stronger. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. And I've used that um, sort of a max strength training protocol with high level athletes in that I, skiers that I've coached in the past where in particular after a very hard training session in the morning, maybe we were doing intervals or maybe mm -hmm. they were out for, you know, some kind of 
roller ski tempo run type thing. You know, they're pretty high intensity for a long duration, pretty, very fatiguing. And then in the afternoon, we would come in the gym and do a very short max strength protocol. And tell me if you think this is right, but I felt like it didn't even matter what exercises we did, as long as they were maximally exerting effort. So we might go, you know, even though I don't think these things, let's say exercises like, um, you know, a deadlift or something, I'm not really convinced that makes you a better cross country skier, but it's a very easy way to load your body, the high, you know, so something like a squat or a deadlift, and maybe they'd come in and do, you know, three or four sets of three or four reps. Um, and maybe they might do some weighted pull-ups or you know, some you know, other maximum upper body thing to get that, that hormonal response you're talking about. And what I've noticed with that and myself and the athletes I've coached is they all report that the next day they feel more recovered if they've done that kind of a, a afternoon workout. And sometimes it's, as you know, it can be hard to, after a really exhausting morning workout, it can sometimes be hard to gin up the enthusiasm or the energy to think, oh God, now I have to go into the gym and lift, do these heavy lifts. But it's so short um, that and I think most people come out of those sessions feeling a lot better than they went in. It's really common to, to, um, to combine that with an interval session on the day. And then that allows you um, to take the following day completely off and get a really nice block of, of rest and, and recovery. So it, it's great to do a two day session with that. And, uh, you know, many of your listeners who might just have a nine to five job and they're sneaking in workouts when they can, but they've got a stressful, busy work week. Um, they'll find that sneaking in a couple uh, strong lifts during the week helps their work activities. They're on a Friday afternoon, they'll be less fatigued. They'll be sharper and they'll be, uh, they have a little bit more energy for the weekend when they can pack in a few more hours. Yeah. I, I certainly have seen great benefit from it. Uh, I still use that um, for myself and with trying to do maximal effort uh, resistance movements in my case, because I'm climbing more these days and running less. Um, I try to, I'll, they'll end up being sort of semi climbing specific, you know, so usually some kind of upper body pulling exercise or something like that, but I'm not convinced that it, really matters that much what do you think about that what you know the, well, is it just the well, effort that matters or is it the, the actual muscles you're using we're, we're probably looking for general physical preparation uh, with our strength training and not the specific sport preparation side of things yeah so it's not gonna um, uh, uh, make you um, as, as a mature athlete um, uh, specifically better in the sport but it helps everything around it uh, with your fatigue resistance, uh, with your tolerating hours. Uh, so it, it's a key thing. Um, in the younger athlete, it's very much key for them being able to do their sport because they're physically immature and they need um, their strength needs to get better, at least in skiing, for them to ride a flat ski and to handle and to assume the positions of the sport. Yeah. But uh, for uh, the more mature athlete, um, uh, it it feels good, and it's it's one of your um, activities. Strength training is one of your activities to uh, control pain, um, prevents injury, and helps tendon health. Just a whole host of things. Well, I think this is a really great message. I'm glad we're spending a bit of time, maybe even too much time, on it because I one of the things I hear a lot from endurance athletes, and I'm sure you have, the amateur endurance athlete 
they don't really want to do strength training. They don't like going into the gym. They don't like spend, they feel like, well, I'd rather go for a half hour run than a half hour in the gym. And it's sometimes hard to convince them that yes, this isn't directly related to making you a faster runner, but it's going to give you this underlying base of support, whether it's prevention of injuries or maybe increasing your stride length by a half an inch by being a bit stronger. Um, and I, I think that's a message that I, more endurance athletes need to, to, to understand. Most of the high-level endurance athletes that I've worked with and still work with do some kind of strength training. You know, and and um, I just think that it's a Whereas when I get down into the, the amateur and beginner level, I'll ask people, so what, can I, what do you do for strength training? And well, I don't like to strength train. <laughs> well, what was strength training associated with back in the day? You know, certainly in our years, it was just football or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was muscle hypertrophy. You know, you're trying to get big. You're trying to get big. big. Uh, yeah. And um, when you do true strength training at high loads, um, where you're looking to increase the strength of the muscle, you're not increasing the volume or bulk of the muscle. So we prescribed heavy loaded strength training for our endurance athletes because like our gymnasts, tiny people um, going uphill, uh, you wanna be strong, but you don't wanna have a lot of mass that you're carrying. And you, it's uh, kind of counterintuitive, but uh, the heavy loads, when you're kind of, at, you're towards your max at say between one and five reps, that's when you're gaining strength, but you're not gaining any additional weight of muscle mass. Now, if you get into those of us that are getting a little bit older and we want to get a little bit more muscle mass because we're losing it because of the aging process, we'll go up to 10 and 12 reps, um, and that'll help stimulate a little bit more growth of the muscle. But you can strength train, get stronger, uh, but, but not gain weight. And so that's one of the fallacies that I, I'm always having to uh, dispel uh, when I talk about strength training. Yeah, it's certainly something I've preached in the books. And I think it's, you know, I think bodybuilding has kind of corrupted in the way most people look at strength training and mm -hmm. commercial gyms, you know, you walk in there and there's a lot of really big guys strutting around. And I think that can be intimidating for folks, but it can also, people say, well, I don't want to be that big, but you don't have to get that big. It takes a lot of work and a lot of calories to get that big. And I think that what I like to preach with endurance athletes is that strength training is just one of the tools in our toolbox to make us better. You know, we don't care if you can deadlift more weight. That's not the point of the strength training we're preaching. We want you to be able to run faster or ski faster uphill or farther or whatever. We want you to perform better in your sport. And that strength training is a very useful support tool um, that can help you rather than relying only on the strength levels that you're um, using doing during the sport, which are, for endurance sports, the strength levels are relatively low. Right. Uh, I mean, you mentioned something about, um, you know, personal PR, you know, like for a deadlift. When we're doing our strength training, we're keeping our, we call it a rep or two in the pocket. It's pretty comfortable strength training. I don't want you straining and going to your max because your injury risk uh, goes up. It's not worth it. Yeah. So um, uh, one of the techniques you, we utilize is, is uh, uh, lift comfortably um, heavy, but uh, you're, not, you're not grunting and grinding out to that last rep. 
And so for the, the aging athlete that, you know, you and I are both now <laughs> members of that group. And um, I'm, I'm 12 between the ears. Though, so <laughs> right, that, yeah, but that's uh, unfortunately me too. We, that's one of our problems. Yeah. But um, so, and we have a lot of folks that, that pay attention to what we're saying who are in our same age group who want some information about, you know, okay, I have never done strength training in my life and I'm 60 years old what do I do to get started and how it will, you know, they under, they might understand these principles that we're talking about that yes, being stronger will help you in all facets of your life, not just being an athlete, but um, they're a little afraid. So what would you suggest as kind of a, a way to dip your toe into strength training for somebody who has very little or no experience with that? Oh, uh, in general, I, I promote, um, let's see, uh, for, to do a nice general program, uh, you want to do a two-legged exercise like a squat or a deadlift. You want to do an overhead exercise, uh, overhead press. You want to do a pull, a pull-up, uh, and you want to do a single-leg exercise. Um, and Scott, I know you've got a lot of great resources on the website with um, with the videos uh, of all these things. And cycling through, um, we recommend doing three sets one day, five sets another day, uh, say these four exercises. Um, that's two days a week. Um, uh, comfortably hard uh, once you're comfortable with the movements. We'll just do body weight, weight on the movements to begin with. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty simple. We want to train movements, not muscles. And so the movements to train can be quite simple with a hinge or a squat, a press, a pull, and a single leg exercise because we need to be good in, in a in single leg strength. And give me an example of that, a single leg. So that would be a uh, forward T or a mm -hmm. single leg deadlift mm -hmm. uh, or a step down okay. um, where you step down or step up, um, mm -hmm. which I've seen on the website uh, uh, very well done. And um, initially without weight and then progressing in, into weight resistance. Uh, so these can be these can be quite simple. Uh, uh, you can um, uh, learn these movements online because there's dead simple movements. Mm -hmm. There's coaching available um, to help uh, guide you through it as well. If you feel you need it, if you're starting to have pain with the movement, that's a good indication you, you need help. And the, the purpose of the single leg stuff, I should, I've talked about that at length and I know you fully understand it, but why don't you tell people the difference between doing, you know, a bipedal exercise like uh, a regular squat versus, you know, something like a single leg deadlift? Well, we want to help ourselves preparing for our, our, our outdoor activities and um, running is certainly, it, you can consider it bounding from one leg to another leg. Um, uh, hiking is more of a press. It's is a big single leg activity when you're stepping up. Um, you you also need to have the strength to control your pelvis uh, and your back because um, it, it's hanging off of that hip. And if, you, if you're not strong and you're wobbling, you're going to have the potential lead to uh, difficulties with with your spine and, and your pelvis. So um, it's really important to be uh, solid in your single leg activities. And it's amazing if you don't train it, it's um, it's an eye opener uh, when, yeah. you, when you start going to it. Uh, and then in general uh, for balance as well, you want to be comfortable uh, stabilizing on one leg 
um, and because uh, we don't want to hit the ground. Don't want to no. And the older no, we get, the I, less I, we want to do I, that. I, I don't know about you, Scott, but I don't bounce as well as I used to. No. Uh, you know, the older we get, the less we want to be hitting the ground very hard. And I definitely noticed, you know, a deterioration in my balance as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. And now I spend a little time every day on balance exercises. Um, and I've, I've already noticed, you know, just in a matter of a, a couple of weeks, a significant difference in my single leg balance since I started that. And I think that you know, a lot of people, you know, maybe it's me in particular, but do you see that in general with older people that their balance starts to go? Oh yeah. That's our number one concern is fall risk in people when you start getting frail and further down the road. But, um, uh, the, um, deficits happen long before, uh, you, you become frail. Um, so, uh, but, Really, now you're touching on what is the magic pill that people want for um, for aging and recovery, um, and it's um, doing these basics of strength training. Uh, keep keep your game elevated uh, through our um, active older years, um, and it, it is it is the the most important thing you can do. Where our strength is what's decreasing as we're aging. It's not so much our aerobic capacity, or it doesn't decline as sharply as our, as our strength and the, the, the uh, dysfunction limitations you get from not being strong are, are huge. Yeah. And, and I think one of the gratifying things about strength training um, is that the gains can come fairly quickly, you know, unless you're already very, very strong at something. But, you know, for people who haven't done a lot of it, it can be very encouraging. And, and as you know, the, in, the initial gains mainly come from neurologic responses. You know, your brain figures out how to wire the muscle fibers to fire in the right order to move, make that movement more efficiently or more powerfully. And it's quite remarkable how fast your brain responds to this kind of stimulus, you know, compared to endurance training, which is a fairly slow, long-term process and sometimes very challenging to even see the gains. As, you know, their gains are sort of very incremental, but uh, certainly what I've seen with my own strength training, a lot of the athletes I have worked with is people getting really strong in a matter of a few weeks at certain lifts or certain movements. Yeah. Endurance endurance training is real um, disappointment because usually when I try, when I do something, I expect immediate um, superior dramatic uh, results. And yeah, it takes a lot longer uh, going through the uh, endurance process, but strength training um, you'll, you'll, it has uh, pretty quick effects um, and dramatic uh, oh wow movements following where yeah. your other work outside of, of strength training are, is noticeably easier. Your, your task, uh, you're just going to tolerate things so much more. So um, yeah, we're on our soapbox on this. But yeah, good, good. Uh, I think we, it's we, something, we it's a message. Should, Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, we all should be strength training. It's easy. It's not that hard. Pick four movements, um, have a lower volume day one day, a higher volume another day, uh, and learn how to pick up heavy things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you don't hurt your back. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you have to learn how. So, uh, uh, and there's resources for that, but we always stabilize our spine uh, uh, using our, our core, pushing out with our core, using our lats, our glutes to create um, rigid structures to help protect our back. Because that's a big issue for the aging athlete is our spine. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I've, I'm an inch shorter than I was 
10 years ago. So then I'm, and I know it's due to, you know, compression in my spine. Um, so what, here's a question, a personal question for me then. I don't do heavy squats or deadlifts anymore. I do, I do heavy single leg things so I don't have to load up my back as much. Yeah. Do you, is that a good idea? You know, for people who are already beginning to see, maybe they've got some disc deterioration or, or issues, you know, putting a 200 pound barbell on your back, may, is that a good idea for somebody with a back problem? Right, so there are a lot of caveats to everything. Um, part of, uh, for the aging athlete, um, we need to work with our existing injuries and capacities. Um, and so, yes, our proponent, proponent for, for heavy strength training uh, needs to be um, with the spectacles, within the spectacles of, of who you are um, and, and what injuries you're dealing with. Um, certainly relatively, yeah, doing the heavier one-legged strengthening, you can still get some load in through your legs, but it doesn't have to be the, uh, on your spine as much. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I think, uh, compensating, uh, uh, for the spine is huge. Um, we'll do more core training and mobility work, mm -hmm. uh, uh, in the older athlete. Um, uh, but also we want, um, we want them to be able to go overhead. I think that's important uh, for the spine, uh, yeah. for core control. Um, but it's a, it's a big bugaboo. I often treat, um, uh, the hidden back injury in the older athlete where they think they have a hamstring tendonitis. Um, but it's actually just a radiculopathy uh, coming out of their, um, their spine. So, uh, it's something we're continually managing, um, uh, you know, for the older athlete. Interesting. Yeah. So, and I mean, I've certainly seen that where the place where it hurts may not be where, you know, that may not be the injury, just the way you're feeling the pain. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about you know the people who are already injured, and what you know. I think that I think you've told me there's some kind of general protocols for for treating injuries. Even if we don't even have to get down into the specifics of what injury, but but what would you say in general would be the some of the bullet points for people who are facing injuries, soft tissue perhaps probably the most common, um, in what they should do. Well, if, if we need to unload the tissue, you need want to take your rest up front, get that big block of rest in and don't dribble it out because then you're not being effective if, if you're not fully resting and uh, having the injury, um, uh, the initial acute inflammation calm down. So that's a common mistake I see people make that you want to keep doing things and stuff, but, but get that, get all your rest and pack it up front so that then we don't have to. Uh, we can be done with that and we can be moving on with treatment. So uh, uh, that's where people sometimes uh, uh, shoot themselves in the foot by, by uh, not being effective enough uh, with their initial rest. And then uh, for the tendonitis and many injuries, um, we need to be really consistent with the loads and not be yo-yoing um, uh, the volumes and, and intensities uh, uh, and hurting and preventing your body from adapting. Your body's always going through this react, adapt, react, adapt mm -hmm. uh, sequence. So we want you just this steadily, steady adaptation process and listening to uh, the response to the, the treatments. Make sure you can have some pain, but that night um, it's calming down. It's, it's not worse the following day. Um, 
those are really good guidelines going through this uh, injury treatment, whatever the injury is, this uh, process. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where sometimes you, you need a coach and you need, need help going through that uh, process because you, you, uh, you may think you should do an activity, but it's probably not the best activity for your injury. So don't be afraid to reach out for help. And, and being not going back out to do the, the same thing that injured yourself in the first place might be one of the, the rules we want to get across too is, you know, if you've gotten an Achilles tendon problem because you, you know, upped your running mileage too fast, then continuing to run might not be a, a very wise thing. And that, that plays into what you said initially is that when I, and I, this is what I counsel people when they first feel these problems, stop stop and jump on it with both feet right away, try to get on top of it, get beyond it. And often you can do that in fairly quick, short order, but we've also, you know, I know you've seen, and I, you've seen me doing this in the past or coming to you a month later, my Achilles tendonitis is not only not better, it's actually worse. And you'll say, well, how much are you, uh, did you stop running? I'd say, no, I didn't stop running. I, you know, I would, I cut my mileage down. But obviously, once that once that tendon <clears throat> is compromised, just cutting down the mileage isn't enough anymore. You have to pretty much lay off it. Right. There's a there's a uh, the longer something has an injury has gone on, the longer it's going to take to deal with. So say if it's a one to four ratio, so if you deal it with the first niggle, you're done with it in four days. Yeah. You know that's I I call that success. Yeah. You got something uh, going on for six months, and it's you're going to be two years working on it. And now that may be exaggeration, but uh, hopefully not. Um, I think it's probably pretty close from my experience. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty close. Um, uh, so uh, hop on those things earlier. It's okay. It's okay to address pain and and limited function, um, and you want to do that before um, it gets ahead of steam. Uh, because then, then you're you are having access to professionals. You're not going to be able to do it on your own, or you're not going to be successful doing it. What's the latest in, in your knowledge of using eccentric loads versus concentric loads in treating tendonitis? What's ah. what do you preach that nowadays? Okay, that's great. So uh, um, the science on this is always moving, and. Um, and that's the way it is in, in many things in sports medicine. Uh, like with the kneecap pain, we used to think, oh, you could strengthen your vastus medialis. And now we come to find, oh, that doesn't do anything. It's not effective. Uh, your lateralis is working just as hard if you're trying to activate your medialis. And so we do a lot more with hip and fascial mm-hmm. interventions. Um, okay, so tendonitis has gone through many of the same changes where uh, – these uh, two researchers, Kerwin and Stan, Stanish, promoted uh, eccentric strength training and were able to show um, some nice results uh, with, with Achilles tendonitis. Um, and that went with also uh, that they felt we could focus, uh, we could isolate the tendon load with the eccentric strengthening. It, it tends to skew more towards the tendon than the bulk of the muscle with eccentrics. Uh, but New research has shown that heavy, heavy loaded uh, strength training is more effective uh, for the Achilles tendonitis. And there's probably caveats to that as well. Um, and what that tells us, uh, what it all, when you look at the research, what it shows is uh, 
that strength training is effective for treating um, tendonitis. And so that's the take-home lesson um, uh, for that. Uh, because it's, it's not really an inflammation in the tendon, we think now, although some indicators it might be a little bit of inflammation, but we think that there's a degenerated portion of the tendon. You've got to strengthen the surrounding area that's not as bad. You're not going to change that what's already degenerated. Uh, that's a done deal. So you got to get the rest of the, you got to get the rest of the he- tendon healthier and stronger. So, but you, it's got to be a process. So for the Achilles tendonitis, we'll 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 build the 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 ground from the ground up. We'll start with some isometrics. Then we can um, uh, switch on both feet. Then we can increase the load and go to one foot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can start doing some. Um, uh, some calf raises and then start going heavier on your calf raises, but not just doing the eccentrics. Uh, uh, you're, you're, we, we don't want, we want to train proper function, um, throughout the, the tendon. And then, uh, there's also a recent thing about the neuro neurological control of the muscles that you're using to accomplish the function. And when you have tendon pain, that's impaired. And so you need to retrain, um, the neurological control of all the structures involved going through that limb. And uh, they'll do that with metronome training, uh, with but, doing uh, exercises, to, exercises to a, to a metronome uh, with an external cue oh. instead of just self-guided. And it, it helps your neurological control oh, interesting. of the tissue. So things are always changing. We're, we're always kind of guided uh, by um, uh, the evidence out there. But uh, you've got to be super consistent with your um, approach with tendonitis. Um, often with isometrics, we'll do two or three times a day. Then as you start getting to more bigger loads and movements, we'll go once a day. Um, you may need to take days off. Then we'll start weaving in higher, fu- higher function movements, you doing lunges, um, doing some uh, little hops, and just increasing the, the function and control of that limb, but it's a nice gradual, um, gradual increase. But the, the big key is being consistent. Uh, the, when people aren't consistent, that's when, um, uh, the progress is delayed and you have the tendonitis that last forever. So, and so this is the, the consistency and the progressivity of the, of this is exactly like proper training that way it is proper training training doesn't work unless you're consistent and if and in order for training to actually have a long-term benefit it needs to be progressive in other words progressively gets harder and harder loads get bigger and bigger as you go along and this sounds you know exactly like that and so this is where i can see you know having the help of a professional who sets you up with you know first determines what the problem is and then secondly uh helps you help set you up with that progressive program program yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't, um, yeah, training errors are um, unnecessary, but, but happen. Um, and so you decrease the training errors. If you have a big goal, get a coach. Um, and then from, from with an injury, I'm just coaching through the injury, um, training through the injury. But with uh, rehab, our increases are really small and subtle and aren't 
what you're usually used to in your general approach to to physical conditioning. Oh, so. oh I'll bet. Yeah. For, for that's one of the, I think, one of the challenges for a lot of athletes when they become injured and they start doing this therapy, you know, it, it feels so, the, the loads are so low. It doesn't right. I'm not like, doing anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they're not able to do anything. If they right. go back to the loads that they are accustomed to, they'd be right back to being injured. Um, let me, let's, address a few questions here that we got in um, that when I, when I ask for uh, information, especially for aging athletes. But um, so here's one. I'd like to hear how to develop a multi-year plan for a bigger or more rigorous climb. I think especially in older athletes, um, avoidance of injury while gaining skills and strength. So y your response to that was don't hit the ground, right? <laughs> Yeah, don't hit the ground. Um, uh, uh, spend some time expanding your skill set. Um, acquire new skills, um, uh, and then uh, avoid injury as you're going through that that process, um, because you lose training time uh, with injury. And when you have a, a a big goal, you want you want that consistent ramp uh, to it. You know, many of the things you want we talked about. You you want to incorporate, of course, with uh, with the strength training um, uh, in, in an older athlete and also listening to, um, your, the injuries that we carry forward, uh, through our lives mm. and, and working around that. And, you know, don't try and put that, uh, square peg in that round hole. Yeah. And doesn't it, it seems like the, um, when it comes time, when it comes to this, uh, the injury avoidance and the, the dot hitting the ground ideas that we've got, um, you know, older athletes are not going to recover as fast and they probably aren't going to respond even to the physical therapy as quickly as they did no. 30 years before. And that makes it even more imperative that as we age, that we don't screw up and get hurt. Um, you know, I know I've become much more cautious, um, in the last 20 some years with, you know, my willingness to push myself, um, because I know what happens when I do get injured and how much time I lose. And then it's a, a real struggle to, to regain that lost ground. And you may never regain some of that lost ground. Yeah. We're always, uh, resistant to, um, uh, oh, I've hucked over that jump. I should still be able to huck over that jump. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but not uh, realizing that um, uh, the risk-reward um, ratio there, uh, that if something does happen, you, you really lose training time and you really endanger your, your goals. So you, you need to make some choices uh, for the aging athlete into um, uh, the exposure to uh, injury uh, that, you, that you do. That's hard because we're so motivated and we think we should still be able to do the things we've, we've always done. Yeah. Um, but uh, I should, yeah, sometimes you should listen to that, that voice. <laughs> yes. Steve and I talked That's a little there. Steve and I spoke about that last week when we did our talk with, about aging and what we have noticed with ourselves that our, you know, our risk tolerance is so much lower than it was 20 or 30, mm -hmm. 40 years ago. Um, kind of sort of shocking. But, well, here's another question. Um, I'm a 60-year-old, 66-year-old ultra runner and ski mountaineer. Should I worry about doing damage to my body when running or training for a hundred miler or a big 5,000 meter peak, um, five, 5,000 meter peak ascent? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, um, that's a great question. When, when, uh, should we be concerned uh, about, um, our activities and usually our body lets us know, 
Um, and so I don't um, uh, put limitations or throw limitations out on folks. Um, I, I, I let their bodies tell them uh, what's going on. So if, if, um, if your joint, if your knees um, aren't responding um, to the training loads, you need to listen to that and try to adapt, uh, change to some different methods, um, uh, cycle the volume differently. Um, maybe try shorter, more intense efforts um, to increase your aerobic capacity in a different way and then save your big volumes um, for uh, not as consistent through the week, but maybe once a week, once every other week. A lot of games you can play with that, but um, uh, listen to what your body is, is telling you. It'll let you know if it's too much for it, for the aging athlete. Some, some people are, are amazing. Scott, you're amazing what you can do with your knees as, as they are, but not everyone's like that. So um, you need to listen to what your individual response is and don't get caught up in what you should do. You know, should's a bad word. Yeah, and comparing, I think it's very easy for us to compare ourselves to other people and especially to compare ourselves to other younger fit people. You know, like mm -hmm. as we get older, there's fewer of us going out in the mountains and doing these things we like to do. And oftentimes we end up partnering with somebody, you know, in my case, somebody 30 years younger than me. And it can be a kind of a rude slap in the face to realize, Hey, I, I'm not going to be the guy that's breaking trail today on in this deep snow. I'm going to have to want, let one of these young bucks get out there and do that work. I'm just, if I don't, I won't, you know, I'm, I'll be so exhausted. It won't be any fun. Um, so I think that it's uh, yeah, that's a, sort of we have to realize our limitations which is a challenge as we get older yeah well you've, you've done really well using guile and cunning to work around that trail <laughs> so I'm, I'm impressed um, well here's another one so, and this is something i think most of us older people can relate to is this guy is saying i got a lot of old injuries mostly involving joints so addressing the issues of joint pain mobility and prevention of injuries is there a magic pill for me yeah, magic pill. We sure we talked about that, didn't yeah. we? Strength training. Um, the nice thing about strength training is your muscles are, are the shock. You think about it this way: your muscles are the shock absorbers for your joints. So the stronger, better uh, functioning uh, muscle structure you have, your joints see less stress, um, and so that's a great way of, of helping things out uh, with with the joints. And then um, mob uh, mobility of the soft tissue. Um, we talk about stretching and stretching is, is the length of the joint, but, uh, we really also like rolling, uh, the tissue to, um, get the internal tissue structures, the fascial structures more mobile because they start getting sticky and that affects, um, uh, the forces going through the joints. So that's why you, you hear people rolling so much, yeah. uh, because of the fascial, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of my go-to you know, my maintenance that I, and I tell people that, that I feel like the older we get, the more maintenance, like an old car it just needs to have more maintenance. So I spend a lot more time now on my little rolling, either on a ball or on a foam roller or something um, than I ever had. You know, I didn't, you know, until I think probably 15 years ago, I never would have considered that the need, even the need right. for maintenance probably wasn't very smart of me, but um, 
now I preach it even to the younger athletes that I coach that, Hey, get on this thing. Start, start doing your rolling. It's, you know, it's, it's nice to have somebody else massage you, but most of us don't have that luxury. And, you know, the nice thing about the rolling is that you can target the areas that you can feel are needing it the most. Yeah. With most, most of these activities, um, uh, the benefit is dose dependent. So if you're relying on other people to do it for you, you're not going to get enough of the medicine. Yeah. So, uh, so training is medicine. Um, uh, and also doing your own rolling mobility, uh, maintenance activities. You're, you're going to get a lot more out of it. If you incorporate your own, um, routine into it. Here's another one, Pete. Um, this is a fellow that's had a meniscectomy. You, you, I mean, yeah, meniscectomy. Meniscectomy. Okay. In both knees the last eight months, but I'm back to training without any real issues. I'm signed up with RMI to climb Rainier next August, and I'm test driving your two-month training plan for a climb of Katahdin later this summer. I substitute a bike ride for one of the zone one, two runs every week and try to hit the hills as much as possible. Any suggestion on how to maximize my chances on Rainier for next year? I also want to balance my training with my desire to preserve knee cartilage. I have what knee, knee cartilage I have left over the next 15 years or so. Well, uh, the, uh, we're preaching to the choir with this guy, right? Because he's, he's already um, uh, substituting some activities using different methods. Yep. So he's just not hammering his knees with the same uh, activity over and over again. Um, uh, so, that's great. And then strength training, of course, would, would be a key. But then um, the biggest thing would uh, be not to get into, to listen to your body, not to get into an overreach situation um, uh, because he's got a big goal and he's going to be really motivated, motivated to get the training in. Um, but just to be consistent with the increases of the training and respond, um, take, take the rest days, do different activities when you're sensing uh, some pain and, and loss of function occur. Yeah. Great. Um, I think we've covered most. There's a couple of other questions, but I think we've covered them quite a lot. Here's somebody who's asked the best methods of injury prevention. And I think we kind of covered that where it's a pro the you know, training being moderated or progressive in your training load um, and doing some strength training and rest and that sort of thing. Um, Anything else? Oh, I know one subject that I do want to touch on real quickly. And that, because my article on my own knee replacement a few years ago that I put in on our website has engendered a lot of curiosity on people's parts that like, well, how are you, how are you managing to run again on this knee and that sort of thing. And I mean, I've kind of developed what I tell people, but I'd like to hear from you as a professional you know, what are the cautions? And I know you have definitely some strong feelings about this, you know, that not everybody's gonna be running on a knee replacement. So why don't you just talk a little bit like about that as a warning or a caveat for folks who are considering a knee replacement. Yeah, well, with any surgery, we want open expectations. Um, and we have aspirations, uh, but then we also have, different people have different realities um, on their uh, personal gifts. Um, uh, capacities, um, talents, and, and that affects things in what you can do post-surgery. So um, uh, 
in your instance, Scott, you are an incredible athlete. You're, you're one of the most, um, the quickest recovering athletes I've had the pleasure to work with. Um, and that's a unique gift, a unique skill you have. And you know that you recover so quickly uh, from trauma and from surgery. Not everyone is like that. So um, uh, going forward, you need to be open to how your body is responding uh, to uh, whatever surgery it is or, or injury and adapt accordingly. We, we don't want to get in a situation where we, um, or where you uh, expect um, the same results as everyone else. Uh, uh, when it comes down to yourself as an individual, you're, you're a steady case of one and uh, uh, need to respond how, um, how, how your body, what your body is telling you. So that's, that's my, my, um, big recommendation is open expectations. Um, do all the things that you, that you can for recovery. Some people will be able to run. Some people won't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not our expectation, uh, but some people come from a different um, uh, starting point. Yeah. It's not fair, it, but it's, it's the, the way it is. No, that's true. It isn't necessarily fair. Life isn't meant to be. Um... Well, so Peter, are there any other topics we, you feel like we've overlooked or we should touch on before we wrap this up? Um, I've, I've been a great talk. I'm, I've really learned a bunch and I hope other people have, but I think you, I'm sure there are some tidbits buried away in that head of yours that you could Well, well it's, it's, it's not um, from me. It's, it's what my patients tell me uh, and, and I, I learned from them. Um, and especially with the elite athletes and, and with the gold medalists, uh, and national team athletes I've had a chance to work with, um, they do uh, the basics really well. Mm-hmm. We're always searching for um, uh, something special, something unique, but doing the basics of, of proper training progressions, 10% rule, um, uh, uh, getting your strength in, um, uh, taking care of yourself, um, all these things are the components of what make uh, uh, people uh, set up for elite performance. Um, I hope you have an, another uh, podcast on mindfulness training because um, that's also a, a component um, of all this uh, managing um, stress and anxiety and the physiological uh, impacts of that. But that's for another time. Are, um, would you be willing to do that? Uh, only with a lot of help. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not qualified, yeah. but I, I, that's a nice teaser out there, mm-hmm. but, um, do, do the basics well. Yeah. No, we certainly see that a lot, Pete. Uh, I mean, I know, I know you do too. People coming in to us looking for you know, that last 1% mm-hmm. when in they're, you know, they've got, let's say, you know, they're aerobically deficient or they're very strength deficient and, But they're wanting to know, should I be doing a ketogenic diet or should I take these supplements or, you know, what's the, and for your, for an Olympian, you know, it's probably worth examining those things that might pay off a 10th of a percent or a half a percent. Um, But for most people, there's so much low hanging fruit that, you know, if you just focus on those basics and, you know, establish a strength base, establish an aerobic base, once you've done those things, then you can start getting sexy with your training and trying different stuff. But until you've done those things, you're really wasting a lot of time, you know, searching for this sort of magic bullet approach. And 
I've, it's sometimes hard to get people off of that mindset because the popular press keeps telling people that, you know, you can run your best marathon in, you know, six weeks right. if you follow this right. program and that sort of thing. And then, you know, or, you know, you know, get these, you know, these amazing abs in, you know, four minutes a day, three days a week, that, you know, just stuff like we, we're bombarded with that stuff all day. I, I got to do a tendon training one on, on yeah. healthcare tendons. And yeah, so, you know, it's exactly right because, um, but it's hard. It, it, it requires a lot to do the basics really well. In a long and, time. <laughs> yes, it takes a long time, but people shouldn't um, underestimate the uh, sophistication and difficulty to doing the basics really well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, you and I both know that from experience that all the elite athletes that we've had the, the privilege to work with, they have spent you know, the bulk of their adult life and maybe the bulk of their life attaining, you know, getting those basics getting their house in order, getting those basics done. Exactly. Um, and you know, it's a multi-year process. And so it's, you know, you're not going to go from being a sedentary, um, you know, 50 year old to, you know, running a hundred mile race in one year. That just, you know, that's a recipe for disaster doing something like that. And, and that's often one of the, I think one of the purposes actually that we've created uphill athlete is to try to educate people and cut through some of the nonsense that's being constantly put out there on the, the, the internet and the popular media about these shortcuts and quick, you know, quick fixes and that sort of thing, which we know very well don't work. And in many cases can be really harmful. And so having people come into this with a, these kind of programs, whether it's an injury recovery or just a training program with this idea that this is a long term, you know, you, you, you've spent, this, you know, the, the, heart, the uh, I've got a hypothetical person that comes to us at 45 years old and then says, I want to climb Everest. And, but I've never done much physical exertion because I've got, you know, I work a crazy busy job. I'm a very successful person. I got also got a family. And what I will often tell those people is, you know, think about that for three to five years from now. It's going to take us that long to get you ready. It's probably not going to happen. Maybe you can pull it off. Maybe you're just mentally incredibly fit and or incredibly tough. You, you know, a lot of people can suffer just amazingly. But I've also seen a lot of people very unprepared when they go into some of these mountain things. And you know, some of these, especially on these big mountains, it can be extremely dangerous to go into these things unprepared. So. I really hope that this message that we're giving people today, you know, I think it aligns really well with the overall points we try to make on Uphill Athlete is to give this, you know, solid information for people to make wiser choices and, and hopefully you know, have a, a long, a long, they could stay healthy long enough to, to build that base of fitness. Yeah, the, uh, the resources available on Uphill Athlete is amazing. And um, I, I, uh, I tell folks all the time to, to, to get online. Uh, you're very giving of content and uh, just incredible resource. And it's, it's the real stuff. It's, right. uh, you've done really good bridging uh, formal training uh, to those of us that want to uh, be more successful outdoors. Um, and it wasn't being done until Uphill Athlete came along. So uh, it's been a true gift to the outdoor community. And thanks, Pete. That's thank nice you. to hear. We've worked hard at it, and you've been a really crucial part of it. And um, folks that are interested in 
um, speaking with Pete one-on-one -on -one about their own personal injury issues. Pete can be reached through our injury part of the forum that we have a whole injury section that Pete monitor, uh, monitors. And you can also reach him there if you wanted to set up some kind of a, a consultation offline. He does um, teleconferencing that way and can, he can probably help you. He's, he's a, a very gifted physical therapist. I've worked with an awful lot of them over the years and Pete's right at the very top of that list. That's why he's working for us. And thank you very much for what you, your time today, Pete. It's been great chatting with you. And um, if you think of somebody who can do our, that mindfulness talk, let me know. Okay, we'll, we'll get on that. Thank you. All right. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, for more information, you know, just go to our, our website, uphillathlete.com. You'll be able to find a lot more of this kind of thing there. Thanks again, and see you next time.